Hello, I'm Rizal Shisterman, and you're listening to episode 31 of A Positive Podcast, a podcast where we discuss ideas and concepts of our emotional well-being and how we can educate ourselves to be a better version of ourselves. Today's episode is sponsored on behalf of soulwords.org and specifically the parenting workshop that will be beginning July 13th, which is next week, and will run for six consecutive weeks. My husband and myself have taken this course, and we truly believe that it will help change your parenting styles for the better. The principles that are taught in this course help you fundamentally rethink your parenting style and will certainly help you and your children and your marriage by reimagining how parents and children should be interacting and the role they play with one another. Additionally, there's a special 15% discount code that you can get, positive 15, which will be included in my show notes below. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode, please reach out through my website, apositivecoach.com. In addition, if you've enjoyed any of my positive podcasts, please consider becoming a supporter by making a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. It can be a donation of $1, $5, or $10 a month. All you need to do is click on the link in the show notes to sign up. Thanks for considering. If you're also curious to hear more about positive coaching, to set up a free consultation with me, Razel Schusterman, you can reach out through my website, apositivecoach.com. In today's episode, I have the privilege of sitting down with Rabbi Chase Taub and discussing some really tough questions. You know, in recent times, I've had many questions coming up and brewing inside of me, and I finally had the opportunity to discuss these ideas and get some really good clarity and good answers. And I'm so excited to share this episode with you. In recent times, there's been a lot of talk about the idea of nishtanu ha'itim and nishtanu ha'tivim, which means times have changed, the nature of humans, specifically children, and the rules of how to raise them have changed. And this is something that Rabbi Taub, along with other teachers and scholars, have been promoting. These ideas are sourced in Tyra and Hasidus, so they're beyond reproach. Having said that, the practical application of these principles is really hard to imagine. Things are going to have to look so different from what we ourselves grew up with, and it all seems so foreign and uncomfortable and unfamiliar. In his parenting workshop, Rabbi Taub addresses much of this. But how does this translate into life within maistais, yeshivas, camps, classroom environments, sneas, etc.? On one hand, we're trying to raise good Yiddish, chassidish, kinderlach, teens. And for that, we need rules. Yet we're being encouraged to allow their inner awesomeness to shine forth. In this episode, Rabbi Shays Taub, in his classic way, introduces a third way how to look at all these things. He uses the yes and approach. What you're saying is true. And there's also other truths that are true. And he really threads this complicated idea in a unique fashion. So I think you're going to find this conversation to be very insightful and interesting and lots to think about. So sit back, relax, and be ready to grow. Thank you so much, um, Rabbi Chase Taub, for taking the time to talk with me today. I really want to respect your time, so I'm going to keep this super focused. I know you are giving this wonderful parenting course. I want to talk about it a little bit, but I want to begin with a question that I have been thinking about for a while. I'm a big fan, an avid listener of Soul Words, any classes that you give, and I recently heard your talk on toxic parenting and your with Coach Menachem. And so many of the things that you're saying really resonates with me. And I think with many people, I think it's really important to keep talking about it because there's some people that still do not agree with some of these ideas. I need to keep hearing it over and over again. But the main thing I want to bring up is I've heard you describe this idea, the importance of meeting the children, meeting kids or where they're at, not waiting for them to be in crisis before we present a new hadracha, a new way. I've, I've heard you talk about this idea that we're using an archaic system that's no long, it's not working anymore within our schools and our yeshivas. And what keeps coming up for me is yes, nishtana ha'itim, nishtana tivim, times have changed, natures have changed. The question is, what does this new system look like? What does it actually look like to have this new system? I know what, I don't, I don't know. You've been describing what the problem is. I feel like we want to hear more about what the solution looks like. Okay. More specifically within, and it's really one question that I'm asking. 
and I want to illustrate it with some practical examples. Now, I know that you've, you've, you've talked about this on your parenting course that my husband and I took, which was incredible, life-changing, really changed the way we parent our children. And I highly encourage people to um, take this course. It's coming up soon. But my main question is, is actually, let me step back for a second. What you say, you, you say this principle that once you get the idea, once you have the basic concept and understand the principles, then you can take it and put it into any equation. Once you get the ideas, it doesn't matter what the scenario is. The idea is there, and then you can put that into any specific scenario. That said, I still have certain questions that I want to kind of bring up to explain this idea a little bit more, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Okay. So- my first question, let's talk about camp. Okay. There's our children are in day camp, our overnight camps right now. They spent many hours traveling to camp. I know for specifically my children are in Parksville, an excellent camp. They five days in, they're being put back on a bus because it's Gimel Thomas it's Sunday. They have to go on a bus for another three hours, travel, they get to the aisle. They're there for a half hour. Maybe they put on a white shirt. That's what's really important. They get there and they come back three hours in the bus again and they're back in camp. And I've heard from my son and from other children how they didn't want to go and how they're upset about going. And it's not meaningful to them. It's not inspiring to them. And I've spoken to other parents about it. And you know, other people are saying, wouldn't it be better if we actually stopped our children and told them what Gimel Thomas is made Gimel Thomas in camp, made it like a rather day and actually inspired them and spoke with them and talked with them. Now, at the same time, we want to instill the values. We want to teach our children the specialness of the aisle and the beautiful part of going to the Rebbe. But I'm, I'm afraid that by doing the way that we're currently doing it, we're actually leaving our children disconnected and less inspired and actually leaving them with a negative taste about the aisle. What do you say mm -hmm. to all of that? Okay. All right. So basically, you're asking me <laughs> to comment on the way that the uh, camp should be run. And I feel very nervous to, to, to comment because I, for full disclosure, don't run a camp, could never run a camp. And it's very easy to criticize Absolutely. as an outsider. I don't want to play uh, Monday morning quarterback and say, uh, you know, what, what they should have done, what the the team put me in there. I would have done differently. You know, that's, right. that's very easy. So I, I'm almost hesitant to, to comment because these, you know, people are working hard. They're trying to do their best for our children. Absolutely. They definitely have the best of intentions and I don't want to throw cold water um, or, or sound like I'm uh, down on people who are trying to give our children a, a, a great summer and, and, do, and trying to do the right thing by bringing them to the aisle. Absolutely. So I would love to talk about this. I just want to make sure it will not in any way, <clears throat> God forbid, sound critical of anyone. Because people, you know, I talk so much about being supportive of our children and building up our children. I don't know if people realize, but I believe that applies to adults as well. And even camp directors and teachers and principals, I think they also need to be praised and built up and encouraged. So um, yeah, how do we talk? I would love to talk about it. I just want to make sure it doesn't sound like I'm being- Absolutely. No, the, and uh, I think that's a, I think that's a very important, I think that's a very important um, thing to clarify before we get into it. Absolutely, I'm very grateful for the camps. I think it is such, it's eight weeks of pure, heaven for many of these kids and they're doing an incredible job what they gain in and other areas i know for my children who are in shluchas they learn so much and they gain they learn and they learn a lot of different things that they wouldn't be exposed to without that so i'm very grateful but i'm talking about taking these ideas that we're talking about that the times are different children are different maybe we should be approaching all of this and from a different angle and okay, I'm so curious. let me let me push back let me let me agree with you by disagreeing which is the, the funnest way to agree okay okay and let me say that taking our kids to the aisle on a three-hour bumpy bus ride is actually the best chinuch. and 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 i'll tell you why because 
we need to have Judaism that is real, that is tangible, that is tactile, kinesthetic, experiential. And one might even argue that the bus ride is more educational than any words that you could say to a child. So I love the fact that they're actually doing something and going somewhere. And especially if you understand what the Rebbe said about having an oil. And why is it important to have an oil? Really, the monument to the Rebbe should be all of his teachings and all of the people that he affected. Why do you need a physical monument? And uh, the Rebbe explains, because it's so important for us to have physical experiences. If your soul didn't need to have physical experiences, it wouldn't have come into a body. So now that it's in a body, to the contrary, I think more education should be show and tell, field trips, experiences, going somewhere, and, and, and they don't have to all be five-star luxurious experiences. Sometimes it's okay to sweat a little bit on a bus, yeah. <laughs> and that, that can educate more than anything. Can I, can I tell a quick story? Please. Okay. There was a chassid who was a great intellectual, very, very wise and bright man uh, by the name of Zalman Posner from uh, well, he was on Schlichus in Nashville, Tennessee. And he would come in once a year, generally for the Yud based Yud Gimel Thomas Fabrengen. And I, I suppose that was because his coming of age was during the, the years of, of, of the Friedrich Rebbe and the Yud based Yud Gimel Thomas is the Friedrich Rebbe's Yeh Megula. So that was like the big time when he would come in from Tennessee. At any rate, one, one year, he, he figured out that he could actually, um, instead of getting squished by the crowd, he could stand upstairs by the speaker, by the PA system, and he could actually hear the Rebbe. And he was a person who could actually appreciate what the Rebbe was teaching. A lot of people went to the Fabrengen just for the ambiance. Some people couldn't even understand Yiddish. And, and, you know, if it was Shabbos, there was no simultaneous translation either. Some people could understand Yiddish, but they weren't scholars. They couldn't follow. I mean, the Rebbe's scholarship was just so deep and so broad, and the Sichas would go a mile a minute. So a lot of people were just there for the Giloyelakos, just for the, the experience, not for the, the learning. And Zalman Posner could, could follow, I mean, as, as much as you can say uh, that any of us can follow the Rebbe, but he was able to really enjoy the Sicha. So he learned this trick of standing by the PA system and not getting squished and actually being able to hear and actually being able to enjoy the Rebbe's words. At any rate, it came out that the Rebbe had asked two different people at that Fabrengen, Vua Zalman. And afterwards, Zalman Posner found out that Ebu had been looking for him at the Febreng, and he was very uncomfortable with that. The, the next, I, I believe the next day he was in Yechidus, and that Ebu asked him what happened. So he admitted, he explained why he did this. And that Ebu told him, I believe words to the effect, I mean, uh, I heard the Yiddish once, I don't remember the exact words, I think the Rebbe told him, I think the Rebbe said, you have a once in a year opportunity, because he would come in once a year, to, you know, to get rid of the the crassness of of the physical body, and, and you forego that. In other words, what the Rebbe was saying to him is, what you're going to benefit from just being uncomfortable and having somebody's elbows in your ribs the entire time and sweating and having someone step on your toes, that will be more educational than being able to hear the, the clear words of the Fabrengen. So, and, and I, I want to clarify, I'm not saying that all physical experiences should be uncomfortable. To the contrary, if they, if they could be pleasant and comfortable, why not? We're heading into the era of Mashiach when all the delicacies are going to be plentiful as dust. So why not? And the Rebbe said that we should prepare for Gula by being rich already. So we don't need pain. And God forbid, you know, Jews have had enough pain. We can have pleasure. But to answer your question, 
I think it's wonderful to have experiences which engage our five senses and engage our physicality. So maybe the real question is, you know, how do we arrange other things to accommodate that? Maybe you have a valid point. The kids are being overly taxed. And if so, maybe there's other things that we could um, cut back on or change so that we can make the trip to the oil more um, le less less taxing. Right. But, uh, but I would I would preserve that at all costs. The oil. Feel that there's a you feel like there's really a benefit in that even in the this Huge. comfort there's. Okay, Huge. I, I hear yeah, that and yeah. I respect that. So fair enough. My question is, let's go back to the original question, talking about how times have changed and things have changed and nature has changed. So I know that if in the home, you talk about this idea in your parenting course, what, what we need to do, what we need to, how we need to change certain principles of our, in ourselves, understanding what parenting really means. But let's talk about the mices for a minute. Teachers, classroom. Okay. I feel like you're our pulling children... me back in again. Yes, I'm <laughs> pulling I was you back afraid in. to talk about the camps and want to talk yeah. about the schools. So, well, I do because I feel like I've heard so much about this and I see it. I see it in real life. I see it with my children. I see it with friends. I see it with across the board. All families are experiencing this on some level that we send our children for many, many um, hours a day when they're younger. And then when they're in high school or they go to Masifta, even more. And if times have changed, and mice days are trying their best and they want to kind of change for the better. The question is, is they also want to make sure that there's Seder and there's decorum and that things are running like a well smooth, you know, machine. They need to make sure that things are in control. So what does it look like? Tell me, please, can you paint a picture for me? What does that mean if things have changed and times have changed? What is the new system? What does it look like? Yeah. I feel like we talk a lot about what the problem is. I want to be more solution focused. So tell me, Rabbi Shastab, what does it look like to be a yeshiva that's with the times, with our children, where they okay. need to be, meeting them where they're at? What does that look like? So here's the thing. We have to admit that transitioning to the correct way even if it's the right thing to do is not going to be without upheaval. Even if it's necessary, um, the transition is going to be destabilizing to some degree. And in fact, the longer you wait, it, uh, it only stands to reason that it becomes more and more, uh, destabilizing as you delay the transition. So it needs to implode before it, we can fix it? Well, no. I mean, it doesn't need to. I mean, if we, if we avoid it long enough, that will happen, God forbid. Um, I'm not an anarchist. I'm not hoping for the implosion of the system, God forbid. Um, but I am saying that there is going to be some degree of um, growing pains when you switch over. And, and I'll tell you really more pointedly what I mean. And that is, you know, I'm a very big believer in what the Rebbe said very clearly in an edited Sicha of Parshas Vayera, Chelek Tesvav, Lukuti Sichas. I spoke about it at length a couple of weeks ago in Crown Heights, a talk called Parenting 2.0, Raising the Children of the Geula. I wish I had written that title. I, I did not, but it's a fantastic title. Um, and basically, I spoke about the fact that Ebba said times have changed and nature has changed, and that Ebba gives many sources, uh, not from Kabbalah and Chassidus, but from uh, Halacha, that there is such a concept of human nature changing. And uh, the Rebbe basically says that although the Rambam says that the way to educate a child is through external or extrinsic motivation, we don't need that anymore. 
because times have changed and the nature of children has changed. Um, so I'm a big believer in that. I'm a true believer. Uh, I think that children don't need reward and punishment. They don't need extrinsic motivators. They can be completely intrinsically motivated, meaning they can do things because they value the, the acts themselves. In other words, they can have a strong enough internal moral compass to choose right from wrong without any type of carrot or stick. Uh, I, I do believe that, that I've said that. Uh, the problem is that transitioning from the old paradigm to the new paradigm is like I've been saying, is, is not going to be without some uh, growing pains. The children today have been conditioned to respond to reward and punishment. That's what they know. That's what they have been wired for. When you remove that, at least for some period of time, there's going to be a sort of free fall. You've been using the carrot and the stick, the reward and the punishment, for so long, that's all they know. And even if we're to believe, which I do believe, that they will eventually land on their feet and revert to their true default, which is the capacity to do the right thing for its own sake, there's a whole unlearning process. They've been conditioned to only respond to threats and rewards. What I'm hearing and you if say you is, remove is that, that what do you expect is going what do you expect is going to happen if you suddenly remove that? What I'm hearing you say is that it's going to be messy before it's going to get better. Yes. That is correct. It's going to get messy before it gets better. And if we're, but if we're afraid of the making a mess while we're doing construction, you know, pardon our dust, we're under construction. If we're afraid of that, and therefore we just keep on delaying doing necessary repairs that are uh, integral to the structure of the building, then eventually you get your building condemned or it falls in on you. And then you're forced to do all the repairs that you were going to have to do anyway. And it's no less of a mess. That's exactly the claim that teachers, mechanchem, camps, schools are saying. If you don't have that, we're going to have chaos and anarchy. And so we can't there afford to do well that. There may very well be a period of chaos and anarchy. So am I hearing correctly to think that we need to allow some chaos and anarchy? And I'm going to just switch for one second to another question here with regard to, let's say, for example, tznias, okay, modesty with girls. Um, I've heard from so many high school girls that um, are, they feel that SNES is being stuffed down their throat. They're being, you know, they're being caught and with all their infractions on their SNES and they're going to be, I mean, I remember in high school, there was somebody at the bottom of the stairs that would look up to make sure if the girls were wearing long socks or not on, by the bottom of the steps. Yeah. The girls are feeling turned off from, from SNES. It, it became something that they all resent. You hear maybe some girls are not bothered, but majority are really turned off by it. So, so if I'm going to take what you just said and apply it to this scenario for a second, what comes up for me is this idea that we have to, because of this, is what the schools are saying, if we let go and we don't have infractions on a, uh, let's say a gap with our leggings, then we're going to have girls who are wearing no socks. And then we're going to have, you know, shorter skirts and their skirts are going to be even shorter. And then, so are you saying that we have to allow for anarchy to reign for a little bit before we can get back to where we need to be? Because ouch, that's going to look really messy. You're saying, you know, construction, but that is very hard for, for teachers and schools to just sit back and watch happening. It's interesting you used SNES as an example, because if I'm going to argue, which I am, <laughs> that children have the capacity to want to do the right thing for its own sake, um, the fact that you bring up SNES as a case in point is... Is very interesting, Be especially girls. Tsnias. Tsnias is not only for girls, but it seems right. that girls are 
<laughs> bear the bear the the, the chief burden of uh, of Tznias for whatever reasons. Um, but it's interesting because women by nature are different than men. Um, I think we still believe that. And especially regarding these matters, um, you know, the reason that a girl doesn't have a bris is because she's born mahal, she's born circumcised, which we know means Mila is the refinement of that drive of the human being so that it can be elevated and not uh, take over a person's life. But when we say that a girl is born already circumcised, what that means is she's born with an already elevated or refined attitude toward that part of human nature. And I think a lot of times we look from a men a, a, a men's perspective at it, um, sort of suspecting girls of motives that are actually completely foreign to the feminine mind and and <laughs> and psyche. And if you suspect them of it enough, you actually end up teaching them <laughs> to have that very uh, perversion that you are afraid of them developing. It's exactly what I've heard. Um, that's what you just said. I've actually heard girls actually verbalize that in their own words, actually say that exact idea. I'm, I'm impressed that they're able to articulate it. Not impressed that they sense it, but the fact that they've been able, able to articulate it, that's, that's remarkable. Maybe not in the same words you use, but yes, that, that message. You, you know, there's a sikh from the Rebbe about the Maras the, HaTzavis, the reflective mirrors that the women donated that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid to accept the donation for the, for the Mishkan because these mirrors were used in Mitzrayim for the women to uh, beautify themselves. They would look in the mirror and they would uh, make themselves up and uh, in preparation for when their husbands would come home from a day of slave labor in, in Mitzrayim and then they would... Um, they would, uh, I mean, uh, I, I'm going to be more refined than what Rashi says, but Rashi says very clearly that they would uh, come on to their husbands and they would cohabit with them. And that's how they gave birth to legions of, uh, of children, even under these totally brutal uh, dehumanizing conditions. Uh, so when they donated these mirrors, which were used for, I mean, these are basically makeup mirrors, right? This is a look in the mirror and, 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 and you know, put on your makeup. So Maisha didn't want to accept it because he felt like it had too much of a connection to the Yitzhahara. And the, the Medrash HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Maisha, no, accept this. And not only should you accept it, but this donation is actually more beloved to me than any other donation. So, you know, there's sort of the male perspective and there's the female perspective. And Hashem tells Moshe about the female perspective. And then Moshe's like, oh, yeah, I got it. Now I got it. There's nothing uh, nasty about these mirrors. There's something really beautiful about these mirrors. So, yeah, instead of, instead of superimposing male uh, hangups onto girls about their own modesty, and maybe a more guladic way or mashiachdic way of teaching sneas would be to allow girls to become aware of their own natural sensitivity toward um, this aspect of human nature. In other words, celebrate that which is so right and refined and dignified about the feminine attitude toward your your own femininity instead of making it a source of shame which it's not naturally a source of shame for them not at all but when you're busy giving them infractions and enforcing it it becomes that it, it starts to be it starts to feel that way so so back to my question because you haven't really answered that one specific part yet <laughs> 
Is anarchy allowing that to happen? <laughs> so I just want to make sure one thing's very clear is because I, I, I can I can foresee about a hundred different ways here how how I could be misunderstood. Of course. And and I'm sure that there are people who are hearing this now and thinking that maybe I'm suggesting that we don't even use halacha as our guide. Chas v'shalom. Chas v'shalom. No, of course um, not. This is not I'm a setup. I'm sure there are people hearing this and thinking that. I am not trying to set you up to say certain things. I'm not trying to get, um, this is not, these are not leading questions. I'm trying to understand this idea of nishtana tivim, the times have changed, nature has changed, and our children are not responding to the way we are teaching our values to them. Right. So and maybe I'll put it more, maybe I'll formulate it. Perhaps this is glib, but I'll say that if the goal is adherence to halacha, which I believe it is. I believe that at least the behavioral goal, there are also other goals, which are mental and emotional and social and uh, maybe some other areas of, of the human experience. But let's just talk about behavioral goals. I believe, I believe the behavioral goals of any Jewish chinuch is adherence to shulchan aruch. That's what I believe. So I think one has to look at the system they're using and, and ask if they're, if they're getting that result. Or not. So, I mean, that's clear. We're not getting the result we want. Um, so do we just remove the rules and see what happens? See, it's not about removing rules. I think that the way people think right now is, is they're trapped into this, this binary choice, which is actually an illusion, where it's either draconian policies or chaotic anarchy. And I don't want either of those. How about a third option? How about a third option? Tell me what is, that option looks like. What does it look like? It looks like people. Um, it actually looks very similar to a Chabad house where people are learning about standards and embracing those standards out of their own free choice, um, making real commitments, real commitments to those standards and uh, being proud and happy with those choices. Not always is it easy. Sometimes it is hard. Sometimes uh, it's challenging. Sometimes it's, uh, it's even, could even be painful and that's okay. You know, the Rebbe's Vort about bris mila, that a bris has to have a little bit of pain because sometimes doing the right thing hurts. And I'm not one of these people saying, let's shield, let's shield our children from pain. Uh, I don't think we should subject them to pain. I don't think we should purposefully give them pain, God forbid, for the sake of being Yitza, that they have pain. But I don't think that we have to shield them from pain. I think they can be uncomfortable. But, but, but here's the thing. Being uncomfortable doing something that your own internal moral compass wants to do is a totally different type of pain as, as, as compared to what? being in pain, doing something that you have no idea why you're doing. Then it's like, what am I even suffering for? People who are committed, people with real conviction to their morals and their principles can endure crazy amounts of pain. I mean, if you, really what it says in Tanya is that uh, that uh, Jewish people can endure every kind of they can endure every kind of suffering in order to remain true to Hashem. So I'm not suggesting that everyone has to have an easy, pampered life. Uh, there would be no growth, spiritual or otherwise, without some degree of discomfort and pain. What I'm saying is intrinsic motivation as opposed to extrinsic carrot and stick motivation. Um, earn it, work for it. I'm saying to the parents and the educators, don't just tell kids what to do because you can. Earn it, work for it. Win them over, get them to do it. Get them to want to do it. And not get them to want to avoid the disincentive or to uh, attain the incentive. That's again, that's extrinsic motivation. Get them to want it 
the thing itself, the thing itself. But you know, I, I know we finished talking about Sneas, but just to bring that up again, um, Sneas for girls should be totally natural. And I say when it's not natural, something's been unnaturally corrupted. Girls should take the sneas like fish to water. And if they're not, then somehow that process has been tainted by something uh, foreign, foreign to their psyche. Perhaps it's also the interpretation and people that are enforcing rules also take rules and bring it to the next degree. You know, we have to cover our legs, but girls don't have to wear tights in 90 degrees weather. They don't, you know, we can also try to work within the parameters of halacha and make it um, more, you know, comfortable and more possible. And again, I understand the idea of not going for, you know, the bribes and for the intrinsic extrinsic. I, I get all that. My question is, like you said in that talk that you gave, if we want our children to learn how to feel here in our schools, not in therapy, if we want our children to learn how to connect to Hashem here and not in recovery rooms, what should our maestas really look like so that they can be doing and learning that? All we have to do is what the Rebbe said to do 40, 50 years ago already. You want to talk about, you know, some people heard that, that soundbite of mine from that talk in Crown Heights about why does a child say they didn't learn how to think till they went to college? So some right. people were saying, like, oh, you're endorsing college. Yeah, please. <laughs> the Rebbe said unambiguously enough times. It's pretty obvious what the Rebbe's opinion on that is. Okay. And I'm with the Rebbe on that one. But, or other people were saying, oh, you were bashing Jordan Peterson because you said, why does a person have to go through the whole yeshiva system and he only gets intellectually stimulated by Jordan Peterson? What's wrong with Jordan Peterson? I have no opinion about Jordan Peterson, okay? I, I don't know. If, if you're learning three Prakam Rambam a day, I don't know how you have time for Jordan Peterson, but at any rate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, but uh, let, 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 me, let me tell you something. What does it look like? What does it look like that a child will be intellectually stimulated while in the yeshiva system? You know, the Rebbe spoke about the 12 Psokim. Not the Rebbe spoke about it. The Rebbe made up the 12 Psokim. That's the Rebbe's invention. Okay, and that was at two fabrengens, Aleph Derish Chedish Iyer and Lag Boimer of Tov Shin Lamed Vav. And it was Shnasa Chinuch and it was Mivtsa Chinuch. And the Rebbe spoke about the 12 Psukim. He brought out six Psukim at the first fabrengens and another six at the, at the next fabrengen or, or rally. And um, the Rebbe made it very clear what the purpose of the 12 Psukim are. You ask a lot of people, what, why are those the 12 Psukim? So a lot of people guess, they're like, oh, maybe those are the 12 fundamental ideas of Yiddishkeit. That's not what the Rebbe said. The Rebbe said they are ideas that children, even very young children, can understand and teach. That's why they were chosen. In fact, the Rebbe even says there, you could choose other psukim if you want, as long as they have a similar content, because it's actually about the message, not about the words. So I want to interrupt for one second. So what, I, but, 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 hold, but hold on a second. Let me, okay. let, me, let me continue here. Okay. That's what the Rebbe unambiguously described as his vision. What did the Rebbe get? What did he what get did in, re in yeah, return? This is what the Rebbe asked for. What did the Rebbe receive? I don't know. He dones and Makias tests, he which got, is my next um, question. He, he got a Miras Hapsuk in Balpeh. Right. Which is holy because the Rebbe himself participated in reciting the, the 12 Sukkim Balpeh. The Rebbe genu generally would roll with things and encourage, 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 encourage. Very, very rarely did the Rebbe stop things. You know, if, 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 if you give people encouragement when they show even the slightest amount of uh, enthusiasm, maybe they'll, they'll keep doing more until they get it right. But the Rebbe very clearly there explained that the psukim, the 12 psukim, were not about memorization. In fact, the Rebbe doesn't even, isn't even shoyal the idea of memorization because that wasn't even the point. It's so clear that Rebbe is saying that these are ideas that children can absorb well enough that they can teach. And the Rebbe actually describes a very quaint vision of a child playing with other children and being so excited about these ideas that he knows so well that he's teaching it to the other children. Can you tell and, me one Lubavitch child that understands what Kal Yisrael actually means or, you know, Bechol Darvadar really means like a five-year-old child or a 10-year-old child? 
so so that's that's the point that I'm making. And, and I'll that. tell you even more so, that after that happened, a few months later at the Yud Beis Tamos Fabrengen, which is coming up, Yud Beis Tamos. So maybe everyone can go take a look at that Fabrengen from that year. Um, the Rebbe actually said that somebody had cr criticized me and said, where do I get this radical idea that children should be educators? Like children should be students, not teachers. But I'm saying I want to arm the children with ideas that they can go out and teach. So, and, and I don't know who criticized the Rebbe and I don't know who he was responding to, but the Rebbe's response is just so classic. The Rebbe says, basically, uh, don't show your ignorance. If you say that I'm being so radical by coming up with an idea of children being teachers and you don't know of any precedent for that, you're showing your ignorance because the entire Masada that we have was preserved because of what the what our sages describe as Kamagodo Maisarabhia, how great was the 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 act or the acts of the Tana Rabhia, who when Taita was in danger of being forgotten. He got five children, one each to learn each Sefer of Chomesh, and six children, one each to learn a Seder of Mishnayas. And uh, then they each taught each other. Oh, oh by the way, another really Gishmake uh, point there that the Rebbe makes is you would think that when a child masters Sefer Bereshis, the next order of business is to begin learning Sefer Shmais. But we see from this story that as soon as a child masters Sefer Bereshis, he teaches the other children Sefer Bereshis. That's a, but that, 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 that's an aside. The point is, the Rebbe's vision was that children would learn from a very young age, even from preschool, to appreciate ideas so well that they can articulate the ideas in their own words and teach them to others. So that was the Rebbe's vision. It was not about regurgitation of memorized information. Okay, so so that that brings me to my and, and by the way, I just final. want to make make it very clear. Okay, I'm not negating that because memorization is a skill, and learning a Mimra Balpa and learning a Pedictania Balpa is a skill, and is very important and it's very holy. I'm not saying to get rid of that Chasvashalom. I'm just saying that there's more than that. You can't only have that. I hear that. I, I hear that. I. Because it's interesting that you're bringing that up. Because the one, the one final scenario that I wanted to ask you about was this: what your opinion or view was on school-wide contests such as Chidon and Bikias tests that are happening in elementary schools and then again in high schools. And for the child that was blessed with the talent of memorizing and is, has the ability to spit back information easily, or even a child that you know with a lot of practice or some practice can do this and really compete in this program, but then you have so many children that even if they studied seven hours a day on this, they just, the information doesn't stay in their head and they're not able to spit back information. And my question is, is are we glorifying this talent versus actually teaching them like what you just said about Sukkim, which is more powerful, like actually taking ideas that they're learning and then going to teach it to other kids or learning how to take that and bring it out and put it on the world. Right. Wouldn't that be more valuable? So here, here's the thing. I don't wanna make the mistake of going to the opposite extreme, what what we the phenomenon that we refer to as the pendulum swing. So because we've emphasized so much rote memorization and regurgitation of of of, of memorized information and short answer tests that mm -hmm. the child has no comprehension what he's regurgitating. Now we're going to go to an opposite extreme where we're going to do away with all of that. I think that would be um, well, be just patently wrong. What I'm saying is that all of these are skills. Memorization is also a skill. Um, retention of information is also a skill. But analyzing information is also a skill. And we don't need to, you know, it's like you don't need to hate men to be a feminist and promote women like the, the main criticism of feminism is when it becomes anti-male so it's like you don't have to vilify one thing in order to promote another thing in fact really if you want to think about it in terms of siddhis these are different you know there's chokhmah and there's bina and there's das 
Uh, you know, it's very interesting. The, 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 Rashi speaks about the difference between the chokhmah, the chokham and the novain, the person who has chokhmah and the person who has bina. He says Hashem told Meisha to get when he's appointing the various different uh, heads of the Jewish people to find men who have chokhmah and bina, chachamim uh, unavenim. And, and ultimately, uh, he was able to find Chachamim and not Novainim. And so uh, Rashi explains there, it's remarkable, the, the, the distinction. He says there, there's, a, there's two types of money changers. There's a wealthy money, money changer, who basically is it's like the airport uh, kiosk money changer. They're, they're not enterprising. They're not looking for business. They just sit there. And when you come to them, they change money and then they, you know, they charge you a fee. But then there's an enterprising money changer. He starts off and then starts the day and he's got one coin, but he finds a guy who really needs that coin and he trades him for, uh, for another coin, for another currency or another denomination or combination of denominations. And each time he switches money, he, you know, he, he, I, I read an article about somebody, a kid, I think a high school kid who uptraded uh, to a BMW. He got a free something someone was giving away for free on Craigslist, something like, you know, like a USB drive or something that's worth like a dollar. And he uptraded it. And then he uptraded that. And he uptraded that. And I think it was like 14 trades until he uptraded to people can Google this until he uptraded to, to a BMW. All right, so that's called the Shulchani Togar, the enterprising money changer. So, so Rashi says that's what Bina is. In other words, in other words, educationally, what does that mean? There are people who only know what you told them, and they can repeat to you what you told them. So you, if you give them a certain currency, they have that currency to spend. That's called Chochmah. Bina is, if you give me currency, I can go from there and be maven davar mi toich davar. I can extrapolate and I can creatively pivot to new information that you didn't overtly convey to me. But if I use my powers of deduction, I can figure it out by making certain leaps. <laughs> and, you know, that's analytical thinking or, or, or critical thinking. Um, that is really, really important. It's a really important skill. And then there's Das. We didn't even talk about Das. I don't want to <laughs> go. I don't want to make this too long. But I'm just highlighting the difference between Chochma and Das, and how imagine a person who had an education that only used one Kayach and not the other Kayach of their of their Seichel. So they were only using that capacity to know whatever you've been told. And 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 of course, if the only way to distinguish yourself as an excellent student is through that skill, then those students are going to be the only ones who are, who are deemed excellent. But if we realize there are other skills, not to negate the first skill, it's not a negation, but if we also promote, um, and it's due time that we, that we should promote, I believe, the, these other cognitive skills like inference, you know, tell me something that I didn't tell you. Or, okay, let me get into Das. Let me get into Das for a second. Um, emotional intelligence, asking someone, what are the human implications of this piece of information? I mean, I don't know how you can learn Chassidus yeah. without doing that, because otherwise, what, what is it? It's like, it's almost like you're, you're an alien from, from outer space coming and studying human nature. And like repeating what Chassidus says about human nature. Chassidus says, that I get to know God by understanding my nature, by understanding my own humanity. So when it talks about the difference between Rotsin and Tainug and a mimer as a marshal for different levels of elokus, if you don't know what it means to experience will or delight, how are you doing anything other than just memorizing words? Right. So what I'm hearing you say is that if we were taking these concepts and applying it to, for example, the Chidon or the Kias tests and giving students that struggle with memorization opportunity to do analytical thinking or telling us how this applies in their life and allowing for those 
skills to shine yes, through. Yes, and yes, and, and. don't no, don't neglect the children who are great at memorization. They should also have opportunities, opportunities. for analytical thinking. Right. Well, I'm not worried that that's ever going to happen because I think that's an easy way to measure, and that's why I think um, SNES has become yes, such a correct. thing because it's it easy to measure it, but it we can see it with our eyes. The default easiest way to measure. We right. all know that it's much easier to grade a short answer test than it is to grade an essay. We all know that, which in turn is easier than an oral examination, which from time immemorial was the way that Jewish people were tested. It was a conversation. A farher is let's talk about what you've been learning and see how well you can hold a conversation about it. Well, I think that you've answered all my questions excellently and i have a lot to process and think about here except i want to just talk about one second one thing over here is we talked about the school the mice dice um you know camps <laughs> we've discussed a few different topics here and again you know, i just want to add that i i i have only admiration for people as do i Kenya. yeah as do i and we need to have camps, more respect schools, for them and we and, need to be giving them more, more support and, and, and more support i don't want yeah. I don't want anyone, God forbid, who's a principal or a teacher or a camp director to hear this and feel like I'm down on them. I'm not. I think you're awesome. Reach out to me. Ask me. I would love to whatever help that I can do. If you feel there's something I can do to be helpful to you, reach out to me. I, I will try to be helpful. And, and, I, and I'll use my, my microphone here to say right now that you're wonderful. And I, I think everyone should just have a lot more respect for the people who do these these thankless, yeah. definitely not well-paying jobs. Yeah, yeah, and we need to we need to be giving them better pay as well, and giving them the support they need. So, because these are the most important, this is the most important job. These people that are going into this line of work, that are choosing to go into that line of work, are truly working with the most important our children, the future of of Yiddishkeit. Um, that said, we talked about mice days and camps a little bit, and talked about testing and you know other topics, but. We didn't talk about the family. And the reason for that is I wanted you to share with us a little bit about your parenting course for those that are listening that I, I strongly encourage them to take this course. But can you tell us a little bit about your course and where they can find more information to sign up? Okay, the course, the, the course developed during the lockdown in early 2020. A dear friend of mine, uh, Levi Shemta from West Bloomfield, Michigan, who's the director of the original friendship circle uh, came to me with an idea of parenting uh, developing some type of a program or curriculum uh, to to help parents and uh, I, I think well definitely in the in the early phases we did a lot of beta testing with it's interesting it's interesting how this has evolved because we did a lot of beta testing well, you know remember when everyone was on zoom all day every day that you know during those months that brings yes. back a lot of ptsd yes yeah okay i'm sorry <laughs> so during that that really intense zoom period i was doing i was developing this six-week course uh and and just running focus groups where i would test it out over and over and over again um, most of them were, were from Michigan and, uh, that's how it started. And, and also most of them, not from strictly observant backgrounds. Um, it was not, that was not the original demographic, but then after a while, the, I, I, I really had a lot of confidence in the course. I decided to launch it publicly so uh i forgot where i advertised it probably just on my on my whatsapp i mean i have a whatsapp broadcast and you know there's five thousand people there so i think that's all we did and put it out on whatsapp and we got our first group and then we publicized again maybe we sent an email i got our second group okay so next week we're starting our fourth public group. I, I've done probably 20 or 30 groups at this point, but that was in the beta testing mode. Now is the fourth time that we're doing it publicly. Um, the demographic that we've been getting 
is heavily, 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 if not almost completely from the religious community, although a, a fairly diverse sampling of the religious uh, Jewish community. Um, and we've had over a thousand parents now have taken the course. So, you know, that's, that's a, that's a significant enough sample size to get an idea of whether or not something works. And here's what people say. People say that, I mean, you refer to it as life-changing. That's the expression that I hear most people uh, or most commonly, not most people, but the, the, the one expression that I hear repeated most often is life-changing. Uh, how can anything that you do for six weeks possibly be life-changing? And, and my answer, my short answer is the nature of this course is we do not teach tips and tricks. These are not little cute dance moves to memorize. If your kid says this, then you say that. If he does this, then you do that. No, no, no. What we do is we learn big, fundamental, really, to be honest, spiritual principles, which if you understand properly, you will intuitively be able to apply into an unlimited amount of real life scenarios. Now, for the sake of full disclosure, I know that not everybody is going to enjoy this method. Not everyone has enjoyed this method. Uh, I said over a thousand people took it. Uh, nearly everyone who completed it gives rave reviews. However, I will say that there's always uh, a group of people after the first week who say, oh, bait and switch, this is not what I wanted. And no problem. If after the first week you say, mm, this is not the style, this is not my speed, no problem. I get it. It's not for everyone. But if you are the kind of person or you're at the, a point in your life right now where you're feeling willing to get into some really deep concepts and to re-examine some of your most basic assumptions about parenting and to rethink it on, a, on, a, on an existential level and see how that affects you, see where that leaves you in your day-to-day -day life and your relationship with your kids, then yeah, I think you'll be a happy customer. Where can they find information? I'd like to include that in my show notes as well. Okay. Uh, Soul Words, that's my website, soulwords, S-O-U-L-W-O-R-D-S dot org slash parenting, soulwords.org slash parenting. And there's the whole syllabus. There's a six-week syllabus for the course at that URL and also a registration link if you're so inclined. What is the fee? It's $295 a person. There's a discount for couples, I believe 10% uh, off for uh, couples who take it. Uh, and uh, you know what? What the heck? I'll get you a coupon code and we'll get oh. you a special. Yeah, we'll get you a special coupon, coupon code for you to share with your listeners. Um, okay. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. All right, you send you give it to give the coupon code and I'll put that in the show notes as well. I don't know. I, I have to get it from my daughter. Okay, you'll <laughs> so send it to me. She runs all this stuff, but I'll get I'll get a coupon code from her. We'll make it unique to your uh, podcast. Okay. And uh we'll, awesome. we'll see. We'll see how many people respond. All right. Well, I want to thank you again for your time, Rabbi Chase Tao. We really appreciate it. You answered a lot of questions and given us lots to think about. So Okay, and I really again. hope that all of this, even though we did speak about things kind of falling apart in order to fall into place, I hope everyone understands that our, our objective here is only constructive, only building, only positive. I'm not just promoting being gentle and loving and supporting of children. I'm also saying the same thing about adults and about teachers and principals and camp directors and parents, everyone today just needs. Can I tell you a quick story, Hasidic story? For sure. Okay. Yeah. Is it okay? Really? I love it. Okay, fine. Quick story. Um, the Rebbe Rashab was traveling for health reasons. And while he's at one of these spa towns, he came home, not his home home, but wherever he was staying, he walks in the door and he shows his wife, the Rebbe Sinshtana, a, a cane with a silver knob on the top. 
And he says, I bought this as a present for our son, meaning for the Friedrich Rebbe, who was the son of uh, the Rebbe Shab and the Rebbe Sinshtan Asada. So she's like, well, we don't have any money right now. Uh, you're, we're, we're in debt. And he's like, it's worth it. It's worth it because he's such a special boy. At any rate, that's the story. There's not, you hear the story. The story is not like such a gewaldic uh, story. There's no real action. But the Rebbe takes that story and deconstructs it. And, and turns it into a, an anthem for our generation. The Rebbe says like this, what's a stick? A makal. Makal is a stick in the holy tongue. And, and a makal represents leadership. Where do you see this? In the in, in Pedagimel of uh, the Mishnah of Aveda Zara, says if you see a statue holding a stick, holding a, a makal, you know it's a, a, an idol because it's a symbol of authority. Holding a stick is a symbol of authority. So this stick that the Rebbe Rashab got, the Friedrich Rebbe, represents a style of leadership. That's what it represents. And what style of leadership is it? Well, it's got silver on, on the top. Silver is kasif, which is kisuf, which means love. So it's leading with love. And the Rebbe then explains that in, there's a hemshech from the Rebbe Marash, Kocha Hagodel, Tafresh Lamed Zion, where he explains two types of uh, makel. This is based on the, the Navu of Zechariah Hanavi and Perik uh, uh, Yud Aleph, I think, of, of Zechariah. He sees a vision of a makel noyam and a makel chevlin. A makel noyam means a pleasant stick. A makel chevlin means a, a damaging stick, a stick that's used to inflict pain. And then he explains that um, when we left Mitzrayim, it says that we made the Korban Pesach, the Pasuk there says, uh, with your sticks, your walking staffs in your hands. And so there's a stick that we used for Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, and that's the Makal Chevlim, the hurting stick, the, the, the weapon stick. And that's because the, the ra, the negativity of Mitzrayim was so strong and we were so steeped in it. And like it says in Tanya, means that we were actually fleeing from ourselves, that we were afraid we'd be, get pulled back into the negativity. So when we left Egypt, we, were having, we had to hit the, hit the negativity with a stick. But when Geula comes, this is from the Rebbe Marash, when the Geula comes, we're going to only need a makal nayam, a pleasant stick, a stick of not of hitting, but of, of rallying people. And with a with kesef, with, with silver on top, representing love, rallying them under a banner of love and leading them with love. Uh, and we won't, the Rebbe says there, we won't, we won't have to break anything. We'll just elevate people. We'll just lift them. That's the Mashiach dick away. And that the, leadership that the Rebbe Rishab was hinting to his son was we're heading, we're heading into a new era where we're going to lead people with a makil noyam, no more makil chevlim. We're not going to have to threaten or punish or scare people. We're going to just lift them and empower them. Why? Because, because Mashiach is coming. We're getting closer and closer to Mashiach. And that has to be reflected in the style of leadership, not just the leadership of a Rebbe, but also in microcosm, every kind of a leader, whether it's a, a head of an educational institution or a head of a family, a parent, a mother or a father. So we need to really be aligned with the times we're living in. There was an old paradigm. Yes, when in the times of Mitzrayim, the Ra was very harsh and severe and it needed to be smacked with a stick. But we're much closer to Mashiach than we are to Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And we have to start living Mashiach Dick and Gula Dick and, and, and educating our children that way. Yeah. Again, thank you so much for your time. That was a beautiful story. Great ending to a great message. Thank so thanks you. again for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did actually interviewing Rabbi Shays Taub and asking these questions. 
There's so much goodness here, specifically the yes and approach that can be applied to all areas of our life. It's so powerful. In addition, there's so much here to process and think about and then actually take into consideration and start applying that in our own homes, in our own schools, in our own environments, because each of us are a world and we can all take these ideas and we don't have to wait for the mice days to change or for the schools to actually imply, apply these ideas. We can start doing that ourselves within our homes, within our own small environments that we live in. So thank you so much for listening. And I'd love to hear your feedback, questions, or comments. You can reach out through me to me through my website, apositivecoach.com. In addition, in the show notes, I have linked the soulwords.org so that you could sign up if you're interested for the parenting course, along with the special coupon discount. Wishing you a wonderful day. Thank you.